Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to talk to you about how the way we respond to trauma can lead to recovery, joy, and seeing God use our lives in greater ways, or it can lead to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. We all have different traumas, but at least this year, we also have some of the same traumas. We've all got COVID. We've got racial injustice. We've got political tensions. We've got death and fear and insecurity about work and finances. And all of this is swirling around us. And it'd be one thing if we only had one to deal with like every three months. But it feels like every month we've got something new to deal with. And it's been that way for a long time. Any of these taken alone would be a lot to deal with. But now we have the added question mark of, is this ever really going to end? anytime soon. All these things taken together are a recipe for trauma that keeps hitting us and keeps hitting us. And we're just wondering, are we ever going to be able to recover from this? Today, I want to look at Joseph. We're going to see him go through some severe trauma. And spoiler alert, he's not going to get through all of it today. In fact, it won't be until another 13 years after today's story that his healing is really going to be complete. Some trauma just takes a long time to heal from. Even so, he's a great model for how we can respond in trauma and difficulty. So let's take a look. You may remember from last weekend, we talked about this kind of special boy that was born to Jacob. He had all these brothers, but here was a kid who he had these dreams that God was going to use him powerfully. He was a little bit differently gifted than the rest of his brothers, but he would kind of, you know, talk to them about that from time to time, and they didn't like that. And so they got really mad at little brother Joseph. Well, one day, Pops sends little Jojo to go check on the brothers who are supposed to be out shepherding, and we're going to find out what he sees when he arrives. Let's take a look. Genesis 37, 13. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Check this out now. A man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Now, that's an important sentence right there. That's kind of a theme of this whole story. I'm seeking my brothers. Just like Jesus seeks us, Joseph was seeking his brothers. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, this is really important, friends. Um, this is kind of a big deal that Joseph's kind of wandering around in the field and he randomly runs into this guy who happens to have overheard where these dudes said that they were going. That's a big deal. It sure seems like this is God providentially making sure Joseph finds his brothers. He wouldn't have found him if this random guy hadn't have been there. What is kind of hard to understand is that God actually was helping him in one sense, but it also, this leads him to the very event that is going to bring about great pain and trauma and ultimately change Joseph's life. 
God uses pain often and especially in humiliation to bring about change in our lives. We know what's coming. These guys are going to betray Joseph. They're going to actually go ahead and sell him into slavery. How can it be that God would even in some ways kind of tee this up to happen? Some things to remember. God never sins, but even so God leverages human sinfulness to bring about his refining work in those who are his. The word refining here is very important. Proverbs 17:3 says, "Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart." Now here's an image of God of a metal worker who's boiling metal while impurities rise to the top. From God's perspective, there's little impurities in your heart and in my heart that essentially need to be boiled out. How do you know when you're being refined? Well, some things we see in scripture are rejection by friends and relatives. This is what happens to Joseph. Rebuke of authorities that happens to Peter. Reversal of circumstances. That's what happens to Job. Even little things can really be God trying to refine us. And when we experience a deep humiliation, here's, here's what we want to do, and this is the danger. We want to quit. We want to resist this process that is really God progressing us into areas that he wants us to go. Strange as it sounds, when we resist God's humiliation of us sometimes, we're missing how he would want to promote us. See, this is what we discussed last week. God doesn't plan the ends without planning the means. So now in the chat or in the group that you're with, tell everyone briefly about a time that you were really being refined and it wasn't particularly pleasant. Now it might help somebody. So don't be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable. Let's continue on with Joseph. Verse 18 says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then, he will, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, who was the oldest, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. This was Reuben's plan. So when Joseph came to the brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. That's an important verse. Verse 24, And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Can you imagine these guys throw their brother in a pit and then they sit down to have lunch? And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh. So these are salesmen on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Well, like Joseph... You and I experience trauma when we lose things. Here's some things that Joseph lost. Joseph lost his identity. He was now a slave of people that didn't know or have the promises of God. Joseph lost his position. Have you ever lost a position? 
Though he would serve in leadership and administrative capacities again, he would never really get the version that he had. In fact, from the perspective of the future, this old position was a distraction. Sometimes you and I are holding on to things that are really keeping us from the direction we're supposed to go. We want this thing, but we need to actually go this way. Joseph lost his property. He'd lost his glory coat. He could no longer console himself that he had a thing in the world. The thing that made him special was now removed. And now, at least from the perspective of everyone else, he was not special. He lost his family and his people. Can you imagine? They said, in essence, you're not worth anything to us. Blood doesn't mean anything, and you don't mean anything. And he lost face. He was the youngest there, and he was overpowered by multiple older men who were supposed to love him and protect him. Man, can you imagine the difficulty? Can you imagine the psychological difficulty he's dealing with? You know, when my wife and I went through a church split early on in our married life, it wasn't just that we were a part of it. I was the leader of one side of it. The questions that came to me in, in those moments, did I cause this? Is this my fault? Did I just miss God entirely? Everything had been taken from us. We had no income. We had no friends or family nearby. And what's difficult about these kinds of moments when you're humiliated because your glory robe is taken from you is that there are things that seem like God was in it. For Joseph, God had led him to the success of finding his brothers when he couldn't find them. And the man said, they're in Dothan. Do you have anything like that? Do you have anything where it's like, I felt like some of this was God. What, what happened here, man? I, I thought God was in this and, and leading me or blessing this thing. And then it turns out, no, like something went dramatically, terribly wrong. Do you have some difficult traumas that on some level, it seems like God was given a thumbs up before everything just kind of went to hell? Here's part of the lesson. Just because something went wrong doesn't mean God wasn't in it. God actually does lead us into situations where everything seems to go wrong until we have nothing left but God himself. Why does God allow this kind of thing? Because of all the good that it was going to do to Joseph and to the rest of the real world. Why does God allow certain things to happen in our lives? Sometimes it's because he's trying to foster change that will bring about great good in us and in the world around us. Now, dude, this is big, man. I mean, can you imagine your own brothers throwing you in a pit like they're going to kill you and then selling you? When this type of trauma happens, we need to stop the car. We need to pull over. There has to be time to grieve. This is the first and most important of the traumas that Joseph is going to experience over the years. And it's probably the most important because how he does this one is going to shape how he does all the others. Joseph is going to have a long time to process this, but it's, an important, it's important that he does. He won't be entirely done processing this until he's in charge of Egypt and rescuing his brothers. Even so, the level to which he seems to react in a degree of emotional health also testifies to the likelihood that he did some things right. Now, here's what you and I need to do, just like Joseph. We need to grieve what was lost or what is being lost. We don't grieve very well. We don't grieve very well as a society. We don't grieve very well as people. There has to be an honoring 
of what was lost. We have to honor the fact that there was identity that was lost there. There was position that was lost there. There was power that was lost there. There were relationships that were lost there. So let me ask you, what did you lose? And if you appropriately grieved it, I know you know, I'm one of those guys that I, I don't always feel comfortable being super emotional. I'd rather like just, hey man, let's just get on with it. Let's get over the thing. But guys like me need to take into account there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Like we're supposed to enter into this thing of grieving. Many of you know the story. Saul was an enemy of David, chased David for the, you know, the latter parts of Saul's life. And yet when Saul died, David wrote a song about it and he made the entire nation sing it. Like there was something that David was like emotionally, I need to go through this. This guy was my father-in-law. He was also trying to murder me multiple times. But there was something of like, I can't move on. I need us to, as a group, think about this thing and process this thing and lay this before the Lord and, and maybe express it somehow in a healthy way. Maybe for some of us, the most profitable thing in the world would be to write a song of lament or at least to journal what it was you lost and how that was meaningful and how it wasn't fair and how it didn't make sense and you're bringing it to the Lord maybe sometimes with accusation maybe sometimes with anger but just with a like oh yeah this happened should we talk about this should we like process this not just to feel sorry for ourselves though that might not be an inappropriate thing at first but to bring it before and say, um, I can't just move on. This was a meaningful thing that we need to dialogue about together, master. Through humiliation, God brings loving pressure to change and let go. Humiliation is simply involuntary humility. When we won't humble ourselves, life and others, and even God will end up doing it for us. So we have a choice preventative humility, which is the better choice, or humiliation. Dan Harris, in his book, 10% Happier, says this. He says, we're all the stars of our own movies, but cutting back on the number of do-you-know-who-I-am thoughts made my life infinitely smoother. When you don't dig in your own heels and let your ego get into entrenched positions from which you mount vigorous, often irrational defenses, you can navigate tricky situations in a much more agile way. For me, humility was a relief, the opposite of humiliation. We may learn a ton from Joseph about how to go through this, but we'll learn even more from Jesus. Joseph really kind of in the past was mirroring Jesus in the future. We also need to mirror Jesus. Joseph is a classic case. The story of his life is shaped unmistakably by the pattern of death and resurrection. It's a pattern that's written large in him. You've got humiliation. He's rejected and stripped of his glory robe. He becomes a slave. He's made of no reputation, but then he's exalted. He's highly exalted to Pharaoh's right hand. And then he provides provision for the needs really of the whole world. And then all the people come together and they celebrate because Joseph was used by God essentially to save them. At the end of the day, this is the Christ pattern of meant for evil but producing good. This is the salvation of many. This is the one who is crucified at the hands of wicked men, ultimately being used by God to provide sustenance and salvation to everyone else. What's happening? God is showing us 
his pattern. And it's not just that sad things happen to be happening to Joseph. This is the process of breaking and humiliation, testing and trying to see how God prepares a person so he can use them mightily. And we see this pattern specifically spelled out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. It says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have you considered the possibility that God is just performing his pattern on you? That some of the difficulties, that some of the hardships, some of the traumas, some of the humiliations, some of the things that are taken from us, what we're really experiencing is the Joseph life all over again. It's the Jesus life all over again. God has this great work that he wants to do in and through us, but he has to bring us low, has to remove the glory coat before he can take us high. What do we do? When we're experiencing trauma, we number one, we empty ourselves of worldly identity. Verse 7 said, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. See, being in fellowship with Jesus requires a certain amount of self-humiliation that we have to embrace willingly. So years ago, not long after we'd originally started the church, we found ourselves having to kind of go into a space where we were meeting that wasn't as cool as the space we'd been in before. Like it wasn't as up to date. It wasn't as modern. You know, there'd just been some decisions made that put us in position where we had to go into this kind of a lesser space. And it was tough on my pride. It, it was. I remember sitting there in this new space being like, you know, Jesus, I don't know, this feels like a real step down. And this is one of the moments, I don't want you to get the impression that the Lord is just always audibly speaking to me, but this is one of the moments I feel like Jesus just spoke straight into my heart and he said, I was born in a manger. And he was reminding me, God brings glorious things through humble means. God often hides himself in the place of humility, in the place of brokenness, in the place of being brought low is actually where Jesus enters in. I'm so glad that he brought us to that low so he could live in a new way. When we empty ourselves, one of the things that we want to ask is, what is God doing? Is there anything that he's trying to tell me by taking certain things away? See, trial reveals the cracks in our foundation. It reveals the limits of our spiritual walk. It reveals our true connectedness to Jesus. It reveals the, our gaps in terms of who we claim to be and who we really are in Jesus. See, dear heart, if you're going through a hard patch right now, can I just encourage you? This could really be a God moment. Hardship is where God does things that are very significant in our spiritual life. Have you considered you may be trying to hold things together that God is not trying to hold together, and that's kind of a problem. It's in these seasons that we should pray for God to reveal our blind spots. Are you refocusing on humble self discernment? Man, it's really hard to be self discerning. Sometimes we need some shakeups, we need some trauma to, to stop looking out there and start to look, say, God, what, what are you trying to show me about me? This is a really difficult thing but it's an essential thing. See, the mature are really more worried about what's going wrong in their own heart 
than what is going wrong in other people. When we empty ourselves, another thing that we want to ask is, am I embracing the limits God has set for me? See, God gives us limits. God gave Joseph this really hard limit. He said, Joseph, you're never going back home. How might God be coming to you through the current limits that you have? So in the chat or in the group that you're in, now this is a little bit level two. So are there any God-given limits, maybe with regard to rest or margin or just the amount of work that you're trying to do that you're kind of failing to recognize? When we're experiencing trauma, we also, number two, re-identify as God's servant. See, our thing is success. We love success. And we think about success as growing and being healthy and famous. And as we got to remind ourselves, that's a really Americanized Jesus. And we need to learn from the crucified Jesus, not the Americanized Jesus. It may be for some of us that God is trying to get us to let go of our definition of success. See, in, in Scripture, success is becoming the person God has called you to become and doing what God has called you to do in His way and on His timetable. That's very different than what many of us are often finding ourselves aiming at. We need to die, some of us, to our version of success. I mean, look at, look at the successes of the Bible. You got people like Jeremiah and Joshua and Jesus himself. They didn't appear to have tremendous success from the world's vantage point. And, and for some of us, we could be doing very well in some things and still failing at what we're really supposed to do. And trauma has a way of jarring us free and helping us to realize that when everything's falling apart and I'm losing everything, am I ready to re-identify myself as only Christ's slave. That means I'll say, Lord, I'll go through this if you want me to. Part of being Christ's slave is embracing the cross. The cross is where we leave the American Jesus and we get to the real Jesus. What are you clinging to? See, unless you're emptying yourself of the things you're clinging to, Jesus cannot be birthed in you and in me. We need to know that What's wonderful, is as hard as it is, what's wonderful about the pit is Jesus is waiting for you in the pit. He does the work with us if we'll meet him in the pit. When we share the sufferings of Jesus, it really does hurt. It does. But it also makes us more like Jesus. So we need to ask the Lord sometimes, Lord, you know, this was so scarring, so difficult. Would you heal my memories of it? Would you help me even think about this the right way? We need to ask him, Lord, I'm meeting you in the pit. Help me suffer well. I want to be Christ's slave. Help me suffer well. We need to sometimes, we need to remember, God, I, I made mistakes and I did things wrong, but I'm going to focus not on what I did wrong, but on Christ's love for me. The, the cross is forever a testimony. God loves you. It's okay to make mistakes. You did some things wrong, but you didn't do everything wrong. And part of this isn't, Joseph, because you were such an idiot. It's because I have good purposes for you, and I'm taking you a painful way, but the wisest way. And finally, part of walking through trauma is looking to God as we trust Him to bring about what could be. See, God is a God of redemption and resurrection. Once you're in the pit, yes, you're going to grieve, and maybe like Job, you're going to grieve for a lot of chapters. But remember what Job said in Job 19.25, But as for me, 
I know that my Redeemer lives. And He will stand at last upon the earth. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see Him for myself. Yes, I will see Him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed by the thought. Even Job, in the midst of all his difficulty, he decided to have hope. And that's what we all need to do, little Josephs and little Josephines. We need to decide, Joseph will rise again. Not today. But he will rise again. We need to be like Mary and say, Lord, let it, be, let it be done unto me according to your will. Think about Mary for a second. Here's Mary. She's an empty vessel that is ready to be filled. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Ready to be filled by God himself. She's willing to let go of her entire future. She detaches so that God can be birthed in her. Something from God can come from her life because she's willing to let go. And for some of us, we need to let go of our financial confidence. We need to let go of our job. We need to let go of the relationship that we thought would last forever. The old is dying, but the new is emerging. And so we invite God, God, this, this grief sucks. But I'll trust you. Would you birth something out of my grief? We need to stay anchored while we're abiding in this storm. So we say, Jesus, I just want to be the slave of Christ. Whatever you want me to do, help me do it. You know, if I could go back to Joseph, if I could get into that pit with him, and if I could see him in his tears, I'd say, Joseph, hey, bud, I know this is really hard for you to think about right now. You need to put yourself in the larger story. See, this is a horrible moment, but it's part of a larger story. Can I encourage you today? You might be in the midst of your worst year. Can I encourage you, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, put yourself in the larger story. This is not the final chapter. This is a day. This is a difficulty. This is a year, but it is not the end. We need to assume that just like the pattern of Joseph and the pattern of Jesus bore abundant fruit, God's plan is for the difficulty and the grief and the trauma as we go through it, as we're honest about it. His plan is to bring about much fruit, much glory, much abundance that can only be God from our lives. What if it really matters what you do next while you're in this pit? Let's pray together. God, I want to lift up my brothers and sisters to you who so many of us, you know, we've got different degrees of trauma, but we all know what it is to suffer. And, and so many of us, we didn't ask for this pit. And we maybe some half feel embarrassed because it's half our fault that we're in the pit. And others of us, it seems ridiculously unfair. Whichever version it is, Oh, sweet Jesus, would you help us to grieve appropriately? Would you help us to walk through the emotions we need to walk through? Would you help us to get to the place where we can genuinely say, I embrace being the slave of Christ even in this? Would you help us to get our identity out of things or positions or people or opportunities and be entirely in just being Christ's servant? God, we're believing you right now. We're drawing a line in the sand against every devil in hell. And we are saying God is faithful. 
and I know that my Redeemer lives. And even if my body decays right here and right now, I will stand at last upon the earth and I will give glory to God. I trust Him no matter what. And though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe? Share it with your friends. Click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.